Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. Good, good. Well, I uh, realized uh, at first service this morning that the sermon is weird, so... um, so that gives you something to look forward to now. I think we all know the problems in the world. We're pretty well versed. We're up to speed. We've focused a lot on them lately. The question is, do we believe in the solution? Do we believe in the solution? And in these weeks, we've celebrated and talked about the hope is real, and we're really celebrating and worshiping around the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus and the work that he did to teach us what was most important in the kingdom. And we wrap that up in Acts 1 today with the Great Commission. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. And this transition from the, the arc of the story way back with you know, the story of creation and the law and the prophets and the kings and the judges and the narrative of Israel sort of reaching that revelatory apex in Jesus in whom the very nature of the Father is revealed. And now in this moment, he's saying to those disciples and to all of us, and now this commissioning is yours to carry on the kingdom now belongs to you. You go be the people in the world that push back the darkness, be the light of the world, be the salt of the earth. Isn't it interesting how, I I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but we were talking about complexity bias, how human beings have a tendency to accept complex issues uh, and and, uh, solutions instead of simple ones, that there's something in the human psyche that says if it's more complicated, it's better. So we have a tendency to make simple things complicated. Anybody having that experience in your life? Yeah. I think it's also true that we have a tendency to make beautiful things mundane. I would venture to guess that for most of us sitting in this room, we came into this place this morning fairly unaware that we live in one of the most beautiful places in the world. Amen? Amen. I mean, I'm always reminded when someone comes to visit from out of town and we turn off the five freeway uh, and uh, head up the two freeway and they go, wow, you get to live here? Yeah, whatever. (laughs) Amen? Well, the mountains are beautiful, are they? I'm usually focused on the traffic. I don't really... Trying to get where I'm going. I'm not really thinking about the beauty... We do that, don't we? We seem to tone down the beauty. And I'm, I'm a person that I really do believe there's beauty in the world. No doubt there are issues and problems in the world, but there's a significant amount of beauty in the world. There's a significant amount of people that, that carry that beauty. There's a sec- significant amount of relational beauty, emotional beauty, mental things that we can dwell on. You know, we take some of the great philosophies and writings of history, and if we even bother to read them, we, uh, we create, isn't this funny, you know, because we all did this uh, when we went to school, especially literature classes, you know, you got to read this book. So we went and bought the, the Cliff Notes, because what are we going to do, read all of those words? 
I mean, what, do we just want like hours and hours of being surrounded by great writing and beauty? No, sir. We just want to get to the bottom line. Just tell us at the end of it. And so I was thinking about this sermon and thinking about the fact that you and I are invited to be a part of the solution. We are invited to be a part. In fact, Jesus says, when you pray, I want you to pray this way. Now think about this. This is the Son of God. This is the, the Word, the Logos, the mind and character of God, tabernacled in human flesh, who says, I'm going to now invite you to pray a prayer with me. And for the rest of your life, I want you to pray this prayer with me. It's very formative, and it has deep meaning. And I think we've taken sometimes the beauty of it and we've turned it into sort of a mumbling repetition. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from evil. And then this benediction was added very early. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That's, that's some inspiring stuff right there. From the very lips of Jesus for us to pray that prayer. To invite the kingdom of God to be alive on earth. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses. And I want you to go into all the world. I want you to go to Jerusalem and and Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, and I want you to spread the gospel. I want you to be a part of the solution. I want you to push back the darkness. And we know the problems, but do we genuinely believe in the solution? So when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about that starfish story. So first service, nobody had heard the starfish story. How many of you have heard the starfish story? Thank you. (laughs) So let me be honest with you. I don't really like the starfish story, but it applies. So here, in a nutshell, is the starfish story. It's about a guy's walking on the beach, and he looks up ahead, and there's a a little boy up there, and he is bending over, and he's picking up starfish, and he's throwing them back into the ocean. And there's been a storm, and there are thousands and thousands of starfish on the shore. And the man walks up to him, and he says, what are you doing? And he says, I'm throwing these starfish back into the water. And he says... But there are tens of thousands of starfish. Do you really think you can make a difference? And he holds it up, the starfish, and he says, it'll make a difference to this one. And he tosses it up. Now, that seems a little bit, I don't know, convenient. It seems like a preacher story, doesn't it? So you... (laughs) Wow. Yeah, pretty lame. Yep. Pretty lame. Yeah, thank you. So I, uh, I looked this story up because, you know, I wanted to get it right. I was going to read it, you know, and, it's, and then I read it. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not. And then I noticed at the bottom it says adapted from a story called the star thrower. And I thought, huh, I didn't know that. So I looked it up. Now, this is going to be the weird part. I want to read to you. I'm not reading all of it because it's very long, but I'm going to read you a long part. And what I want you to hear in it is the beauty of it. That somehow we human beings took this story that I'm about to read you and we reduced it to that story about a little kid picking up a starfish and throwing it back in the water. Are you ready? Ready. All right. You can, you know, snuggle down. It can be like bedtime story if you want. Don't snore. 
I have caught a glimpse of what a human may be along an endless wave-beaten coast at dawn. I concealed myself beneath a fisherman's cap and sunglasses so that I looked like everyone else on the beaches of Costabel, which are littered with the debris of life. There, along the strip of wet sand that marks the tide, death walks hugely and in many forms. The sea casts them repeatedly back upon the shore. The tiny breathing pores of starfish are stuffed with sand. The rising sun shrivels their unprotected bodies. The endless war is soundless. Nothing screams but the gulls. In the night, torches bobbing like fireflies along the beach are the sign of the professional shellers. Greedy madness sweeps over the competing collectors, hurrying along with bundles of gathered starfish that will be slowly cooked and dissolved in the outdoor kettles provided by the resort hotels for the cleaning of the specimens. As the sound of the sea became heavier and more menacing, I rounded a bluff into the full blast of the offshore wind. Long-limbed starfish were strewn everywhere, sprawling where the waves had tossed them as though showered down through the night sky. Ahead of me, over the projecting point, a gigantic rainbow of incredible perfection had sprung shimmering into existence. Toward its foot, I discerned a human figure standing, as it seemed to me, within the rainbow. He was gazing fixedly at something in the sand. It was there that I met the star thrower. He stooped and flung an object beyond the breaking surf. I labored another half mile toward him, and by the time I reached him, kneeling again, the rainbow had receded ahead of us, in a pool of sand and silt, a starfish had thrust its arm up stiffly, was holding its body away from the stifling mud. It's still alive, I ventured. Yes, he said. And with a quick yet gentle movement, he picked up the star and spun it over my head and far out into the sea. It may live if the offshore pull is strong enough, he said. In a sudden embarrassment for words, I said, do you collect shells? Only ones like this, he said softly, gesturing amid the wreckage of the shore. And only for the living, he stooped again and skipped another star neatly across the water. The stars, he said, throw well. One can help them. He looked full at me with a faint question kindling in his eyes. No, I do not collect, I said uncomfortably, the wind beating at my garments, neither the living nor the dead. I gave it up long ago. Death is the only successful collector. I nodded and walked away, leaving him there with the great rainbow ranging up the sky behind him. I turned as I neared a bend in the coast and saw him toss another star skimming, star, skimming it skillfully far out over the ravenous and tumultuous water. For a moment in the changing life, the sower appeared magnified with the posture of a god, but my cold world shriveling view began its inevitable circling in my skull. He's just a man, I considered sharply, bringing my thoughts to rest. The star thrower is a man and death is running more fleet than he and along every sea beach in the world. I adjusted the dark lens of my glasses, and thus disguised, I paced slowly past the starfish gatherers, past the shell collectors and their vulgar little spades. While they snatched at treasures in the sand, I chose to look full at the steaming kettles in which beautiful, voiceless things were being boiled alive. Arriving in the darkness of my room, I lay quiet with my sunglasses removed. For this reason, I had come to Costabel, and now I lay on my agonized bed. Love not the world, the biblical injunction runs. But I do love the world, I whispered to the empty room. I love its small ones and the things beaten and the strangling surf, the singing bird which falls and is not seen again, the lost ones, the failures of the world. Thus was the renunciation of my scientific age. 
I had seen the star thrower cross the rift, and he had reasserted the human right to define his own frontier. He had moved to the utmost edge of natural being. I, I had been unbelieving, hardened by the indifference of maturity. I arose with a solitary mission to find the star thrower beneath his rainbow. I found him on a projecting point of land in the sweet rain-swept morning. Silently, I sought and picked up a still-living star, spinning it far out into the wave. I spoke once briefly. I understand, I said. Call me another thrower. Only then I allowed myself to think he's not alone any longer. After us, there will be others. We were part of the rainbow, like the drawing of a circle in people's minds, the circle of perfection. I picked and flung another star. I could feel the movement in my body. It was like a sewing, the sewing of life on an infinitely gigantic scale. I looked back over my shoulder and small and dark against the receding rainbow. The star thrower stooped and flung one more. I never looked back again. The task was assumed, we assumed was too immense for gazing. I flung and flung again while all around us roared the insatiable waters of death, the burning sun, for it was human as well as starfish that we sought to save. A thrower who loved not people but life. I'm not sure how we took that story. But we do that, don't we? And we do it with God's word. Things given to us with immense beauty and power. And we reduce it to some sort of emotionless reading. And I think that's what happens in Acts 1. At this moment of commissioning, when Jesus is saying... Now, from now on, it is yours to do. It is yours to rescue. It is yours to make a difference. It is yours to stand in the gap. It is yours to be the light of the world. It is yours to be the salt of the earth. It is yours to spread hope. You are to be ambassadors of reconciliation as though God himself is making his appeal through you and me. Sound effects are free. (laughs) And do we feel it? Do we see the beauty of what we are invited? Do we pray the prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth? We understand the problems, but do we believe in the solution? Does it, does it any part of it say to us, I, I can make a difference in this conversation. I can make a difference in this relationship. I can make a difference in this moment. I can leave every person I meet better than I find them. But I'll have to see it. I'll have to understand it. I'll have to get my head clear because my head is foggy a lot of the time. Okay, just my head is foggy a lot of the time. Preoccupied. Thinking about things that are temporary at best. Urgent but not really important. I spend my life this way. Overlooking some of the things that are most important and most beautiful. So listen to Acts 1. And think about the empowerment that Jesus is speaking over the lives of these disciples, but to all of the disciples who will believe through their mission and work. We'll wait. Perfect. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, he was eating with them and he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised which you heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. 
And then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight, and they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. When suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them, men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. Powerful words of empowerment. I don't know if you pick up on this, but you and I have been not been called to be a part of a religion. We haven't even been called to be a part of this human institution. We have been called to be a part of advocates for the kingdom of God alive on earth. Amen. And human beings are involved in the process. We try to structure everything because it's necessary. Amen? But human beings have a tendency to mess things up when they structure them. I mean... It doesn't really matter what human beings are involved in. They have a tendency to bring it down just a little bit. I like to say this often. Human beings are capable of messing up Little League. <laughs> Children playing a game, we can mess up because of our attitude and spirit. And so it seems to me that sometimes we forget. The church has a human element and it's always, not always good. Amen. And we got to own that. That said, that is not what this is about. That is not what we're about. We're not about all of those things. What we are about is the kingdom of God alive on earth. Not a human institution, but a, an, an institution that was incorporated by God. And Jesus looked at those disciples and he said, from now on, you're it. You're it. And the church you'll build and the the structures you'll put together are designed to redeem the world, designed to push back the darkness, designed to set the captives free, designed to help people in every corner of this planet. That's what we're a part of. And there's a beauty to that. There's a grace to that. There's, there's something in that that matters. It's worth getting up and going to church for. matters. I see several things here that matter about this empowerment. Number one, it's an empowered reality. It's an empowered reality. So I love this. So for 40 days, he, he showed them convincing proofs that he was indeed alive, that he had been dead, he'd been crucified, he'd been buried, he'd been dead, and that he was resurrected to new life. And he walked around convincing them that he had been resurrected to new life. Now listen, if you know somebody that died you with me? And they got resurrected to new life. It would cause you to examine your priorities a little bit, wouldn't it? I mean, you would question reality a little bit. Because you'd be like, you know, yesterday, I thought you lived for a while and you died and then that was it. Now today, it seems like this is a prelude to something else. And that maybe what's going on right now is not quite as important as I live like it is every day. Because I get up every day believing this is what it's all about. This is what it's all about. Listen to my conversation. Well, I just got to go. got to go. We got to go get food. And we got to cook the food. And we got to clean up. And then, you know, and uh, can you believe it? Our neighbor parked in front of our house again. I just can't believe it. What is wrong with them? 
They got their own house to park in front of. Why they park in front of our house? <laughs> Not very thoughtful, are they? I'm really worked up about this. And by the way, that series on Netflix, they canceled it. What am I going to watch? I'm going to text out. Anybody got good shows to watch? I need something right now. Just me? But somebody you know dies and comes back, you're like, you know, maybe, maybe that's not that important. I got up this morning, you know, I have a routine on Sunday morning, I have a timing about how things are supposed to work, and I turn the corner to head up Ocean View to the 210 freeway, and I don't know what kind of madness is going on down in Montrose, but the street was blocked off. <sighs> how am I supposed to go worship God? just me just me and he says to them listen I want you to understand the reality for 40 days I've stood among you to say listen what you see and what you're caught up in is not all there is there is so much more than meets the eyes lift up your heads lift up your eyes listen to what I'm saying you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses you're going to go tell people there is more, and it matters. It matters how we live. It matters what we choose. It matters the love we share. It matters the conversations we have. Is that us? We understand the problems. Do we believe in the solutions? Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, except what is suitable for the building up of others, that it may edify those who listen. Do we believe that? Yes. Do, we, do we stand distinctly and say, I will not go there? I will not participate in the same kind of talk, negativity, criticism. I just won't because it's, it's not the real thing. The real thing is our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. If I get to heaven and somebody's complaining about politics, I am going to be so mad. <laughs> Amen? Amen? So your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. An empowered reality. The second thing is it's an empowered vision. It's an empowered vision. I want you to go out and create the kingdom of God alive on earth in all of its beauty and in all of its power. I want you to love people like that. In fact, I want you to love them like you love yourself. I want you to know this. The greatest among you will be the servant of all. You want to transform a relationship? Start here. You want to transform a community? Start here. You want to transform the world? Start here. With a bunch of people who have decided to surrender their own selfish needs to a greater good. I, I want you to understand the vision to which I am calling you. Nothing less than the kingdom of God. Alive on earth. What would that look like? What would that be like? It would seem to me it would be a place you would want to hang out. Yes. With people you would like to hang out with. Yes. Okay. With people with whom you would like to hang out. Yes. <laughs> For the grammar people in the room. <laughs> and he casts a vision. I'm not asking you to build a church. I'm asking you to do nothing less than build the kingdom of God alive on earth. I don't know if you know this, but this thing called the kingdom of God is pretty spectacular. I mean, the capillaries of the kingdom of God reach into the smallest little corners 
of need on this planet. Are you aware of that? Yeah. Right now, today. Right now. I'll give you one example. About a week from Thursday, our team is flying out of here to Eswatini. And one of the things on our list to do is to drive to the eastern edge of the country and to make our way up a nice winding mountain road that eventually dead ends into a dirt road. And we're going to, up in those mountains, uh, come upon a little village, and the name of that little village is Induma. Eighty percent of the adults in Induma died of AIDS. I want to say it again. Eighty percent of adults in the village of Induma died of AIDS. We support a child development center in Induma. Every day, children are fed at the child development center in Induma. When we first started going there, they were meeting in a community center, but today they meet in a brand new building. Next to it is a brand new orphanage that has just been completed and is operating, and next to that is a brand new church. A normal child development center feeds about 50 children a day. Induma feeds about 130 children a day because there just simply aren't any adults to provide food. You, when you put money into Faith Promise, feed children on the other side of the world. Now, we did not build the network that feeds those children. We just get to participate in it. But that little example of a network is duplicated tens of thousands of times around the world by all kinds of denominations and parachurch organizations. The kingdom of God is an amazing and beautiful thing. And we don't sit very long to think about the fact that things we do on this little corner make a difference to a child on the other side of the world. It matters. And it happens over and over and over and over. And he says, I, I, I want you to understand the vision of what I'm calling you to. I'm calling you to change the world in my name to allow the kingdom of God to be alive on earth. Number three, it's an empowered mission. It's an empowered mission. I like this part. I want you to go to Jerusalem, and then I want you to go to Judea, and then Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the world. I think it's Jesus going, listen, I know the temptation is to leave home and go somewhere else, but start at home. Start in your own relationships that you already have. Start with your own friendships. Start with your own extended family. Start there, right in Jerusalem, in your own neighborhood, in your own community. And, and then when, when that has become a reality, when we're living that life and we're speaking those words and, and, and we're creating that atmosphere of the kingdom of God alive on earth, then, then spill it out. Get it out to Judea a little bit. And then when you, when you got that going on, go to Samaria. And over in Samaria, people aren't like you. They don't speak your language. They don't believe all the same things you do. Go anyway. Go anyway. And then when you've mastered that stuff, go to the whole world. Just go and make it happen. It's not like we have this. I don't know about you. When I think about stuff like this, I like, you know, well, what am I going to do? What can I do? The kingdom of heaven is like a seed that a farmer took in his backyard and put it in the ground and out of it grew a mustard tree. Start there. Start right where you are. Bloom where you're planted. We don't have to wait. We don't have to go. You don't have to get on an airplane and go to Eswatini. You should sometime, but you don't have to. But heaven forbid we ever go on a plane to Eswatini, but nobody in our house likes us. 
start at home. We've been called, empowered into this reality and this vision and into this mission. And then finally, we've been empowered into this focus. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? What an inappropriate question. I'm glad you and I aren't like that. So here's the risen Christ about to ascend into heaven, saying to them, you will receive power. I mean, you know, I don't think Jesus had like that preacher voice, but, you know, you shall receive power. You know, excuse me. Hey, Jesus, is it now that you're going to bring the kingdom about? Because I got I have a design for a uniform when I get to be empowered in this kingdom. I have some ideas about my office furniture. I got a plan. I got, I got big stuff in mind that I want to accomplish. I'm building a nice little fiefdom, and I'd like for you to bless it. And I just want to know now, I mean, I know we did the death thing and the resurrection and all that, but is it now that I get the title? Is it now that I get the power? Is it now that I get the wealth? That's what they're asking. Remember, they've been arguing about who's going to be greatest in this new kingdom, and now they're saying, uh, is it going to happen now? I mean, we've been fairly patient. You've been buzzing around here for 40 days post-resurrection, and is there about to be a coronation? Am I going to get to be? And he looks at him and goes, it's not for you to know the day or the hour. It's for you to get to work. Go to Jerusalem. And wait. And you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you're going to be my witnesses. In Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. And while they were standing there, he was taken from their sight. And they stood gazing into heaven. I love that scene. I just think up in heaven, Jesus ascended and there was like, you know, the celebration. And then they looked down and went, they're still there. They're still standing there. They're just standing there gazing into heaven. I guess we're going to have to send somebody. <laughs> They'll stand there for the rest of their life gazing into heaven. Didn't they hear the part? Go and make disciples? All right, you too. Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing into heaven? <laughs> this Jesus you saw taken will return in the same way. Now, go to Jerusalem and get empowered and be about the kingdom of God. Is that who we are? Is that what we think about? Is that how we live? I just want to close by speaking these words over you as the band comes back. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. You know what we need. You know our story. You don't ask us to skip over those very real needs. Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.